Hello and welcome to another episode of Across the States, the premier state policy podcast courtesy of the American Legislative Exchange Council. I'm your host, Beth Fisher, and today we have a special guest discussing protecting free speech in higher education, Will Estrada, president of the Parental Rights Foundation and an attorney with a record of fighting for civil and parental rights. Will, welcome back to Across the States. How are you doing today? It's great to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on such a short note. It's always a pleasure to have you on with us. So let's kick things off, of course, by discussing the issue of charter schools, which have become a major point of discussion recently. They've been around for a while. I can recall as far back as the early 2000s episodes, The West Wing, even featuring a debate over charter schools and public school funding. But since 2006, the number of children enrolled in charter schools has more than doubled, more than doubled in just the last 15 years alone. And this number was reported before the start of the pandemic. So this is before any of the lockdowns, before any of the school closures due to the virus. And ultimately, this is indicated for this indicates a long-term growing movement of parents desiring more options for their children. So beyond the obvious negative impact of remote learning, what has been the driving forces behind the increased attention and engagement of parents in charter schools over the last decade and a half? You know, that's such a great question, and it really goes back to something that we've seen discussed over the past couple of years of the pandemic. Parents want choice when it comes to education. That's the simple reason of why charter schools are growing, why homeschools are growing, why private schools are growing, because children, when you think of it, they're not one size fits all. Children are different. They have different learning needs. They have different emotional and, and growth. And it really comes down to a question of who knows these children best. Is it bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., or even at state departments of education, or are it, is it the parents who've raised these children, who know them? And that's, at its heart, why we've seen over the past decade, decade and a half, the growth of the charter school movement. You know, the really interesting thing is I've, I've always been surprised at the hostility to charter schools because they're still a type of public education. You're not paying tuition to get to send your children there. Um, even when when it comes when you're comparing charter schools to private schools, religious schools, parochial schools, home schools, there's even there, there's not going to be as much opportunity for parents to be involved as there would be in a home school or a private school, for example. And so it's always surprised me the hostility from the teachers unions, from from government bureaucrats and others to charter schools. I've I've always been surprised why they didn't embrace the charter schools. And I think one of the best examples of that is what we saw in in the district of Columbia during the, um, the, um, the President Obama administration, where there was some lip service to charter schools, and yet there was all this regulation and attempt to restrict charter schools, which were providing incredible education opportunities to particularly low-income and minority children. And we all remember it was then Speaker of the House John Boehner who fought tooth and nail to ensure that these D.C. charters and, and the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program and other educational options to provide a modicum of choice to parents in the District of Columbia were able to exist. And it was in, in large part due to then Speaker John Boehner and, and others. There were Democrats as well who, who championed this. It was a bipartisan issue who preserved these charter schools in the District of Columbia for these low-income, overwhelming minority, numbers of minority children as well, when the Obama administration was trying to restrict them. So that's kind of almost a microcosm of how we saw the growth of charter schools over the past decade, decade and a half, and how they have been so helpful to many of these children 
because at its heart, it's about parents wanting to make the best choice for their children. And charter schools are just another one of those opportunities for parents to say, you know, maybe a public school isn't working, maybe a homeschool or private school, we can't afford it, or we're unable to do it. Let's look at a charter school. Absolutely. No, no one size fits all, definitely. And while uh, obviously there are obviously concerns to be raised about protecting public education, it does seem some of the rhetoric has gone to a certain extent. The rhetoric and policy has been taken in a direction that might exceed just general concern. In March, the Biden Department of Education released a 13-page document uh, covered by many, including the columnist George Will in the Washington Post, establishing new rules uh, for charter schools, restricting access for these charter schools to a $440 million pool of federal money if they do not meet such stipulations as a, quote, diverse population, providing community impact analysis to demonstrate there's even a need for a charter school, by whose standard, we don't know, and also by the, the um, making sure that there are certain standards of racial and socioeconomic diversity among charter school staff, a variety of stipulations. Now, not everyone out there, it's hard to sort through information like this. There are millions of documents out there in the federal government, but boiling it down for our audience, what has been the overall policy and the goal of the Biden administration when it comes to this document, but also more broadly towards charter schools? What is the tone and direction being set by this current administration? Well, let's first start about the uh, the document that you referenced. So on March 14th, the Office of Elementary and Secondary Education at the U.S. Department of Education published what's called a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or an NPRM. And the NPRM was related to the charter schools program. This is, a, as you, as you said, a $440 million pot of money that was created in 1994 during the Bill Clinton administration, very, very bipartisan at the time. This is seed, at its heart, it's seed money for startups of new charter school programs. It's, it's operated quite well. There, are, there have been some who have tried to cherry pick um, maybe charter schools that close in certain areas and say, see, we need to have more government regulation, more of Washington, D.C., deciding what gets done with this money. But it was a very troubling notice of proposed rulemaking. It's important to note that this is not a final rule. It's it's not a law. Uh, when when a federal agency is thinking about rewriting regulations in a particular area, they publish a notice of proposed rulemaking, and then they provide the opportunity for concerned citizens, members of Congress, governors, educational experts, other people to weigh in on uh, with their comments on their thoughts. So, this notice of proposed rulemaking essentially said. We're going to put significant restrictions on this pot of money, the $440 million that's there for startup charter schools. So it's also important to note if you are if your children are in a charter school, this would not impact them. This would just be for the creation of new charter schools. But it really does send a troubling message that the Biden administration is, I think the, the best way of describing it is they're selling out to their allies in the teachers unions who hate any choice when it comes to education. They want all kids to be in public schools and they want to restrict the freedom of parents to choose different educational options for their children. And the the way the Biden administration is, is going about doing this, if this notice of proposed rulemaking were to become a final rule, is that it would make it much harder for charter schools to open up. Again, it would not harm existing charter schools, but it would make it much harder for parents, for educators, 
for even local school districts in areas where they want to create charter schools, where there's a need and a desire among parents for charter schools to open up these new charter schools. And the way they're going to do it is by um, um, putting in all of these different hoops that um, charter schools and, and the parents who want to start charter schools have to meet. I want to I want to flag you. You mentioned the requirement for diversity. And there have been a lot of entities that have filed public comments opposing these um, these proposed regulations, um, and, and it's been across the political spectrum. But the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools, they submitted public comment. It was 17 pages, and they made a really good point about this Biden administration proposed rule that would require student and staff diversity. And they said, quote, this does not acknowledge that charter schools are open enrollment schools and as such have enrollment driven by parent choices and geographic location, which might not make it possible to ensure student diversity, end quote. And I think that really hits at the heart of a matter. For example, if a charter school is seeking to open, if these, if these proposed rules were to go into place in the District of Columbia, it's likely that the majority of the student population would be black. If a charter school is thinking of opening up maybe in suburban, rural uh, Prince William County or Loudoun County, the, uh, the majority of the population might be Latino or Asian or white. And that's just reflecting what these schools are going to look like in their community. And by, by making, again, the diversity of students one of the requirements in order to receive these taxpayer dollars to open up charter schools, I think it's going to really harm charter schools, whether it's in a, in a predominantly black community like District of Columbia, or whether there might be some other majority of, of an ethnicity or white in a different community. And again, you know, there's been a lot of ink spilled about uh, the administration's focus on equity and diversity. But sometimes when you're looking too much at that, you're going to actually harm people who, who are disadvantaged and who are just trying to get the good education for their children. You know, another interesting thing is, is I've, I've got to, sometimes those of us on, on the center and the right, we, uh, we are, are always kind of counting maybe Democrats in, in one group. But I really have to call out Michael Bloomberg, who was the mayor of New York City for a long time, and, and Jared Polis, who was a member of Congress and who's now governor of Colorado, both of them have done a very good job of speaking out about the danger of, of these proposed regulations. Michael Bloomberg wrote an op-ed in the New York Post on April 27th. It was titled, quote, the White House must end the shameful federal attack on charter schools. Um, Governor Polis, uh, Jared Polis in Colorado, also wrote a Washington Post op-ed, again, criticizing these, uh, these proposed regulations and saying the Biden administration should retreat from this. You know, it was really interesting how these regulations were put out. Generally, federal regulations uh, give members of the community, citizens, uh, stakeholders, 60 days, sometimes even 90 days to submit comments. These these regulation, these, this proposed regulation that came out of Department of Ed dealing with charter schools only gave members of the community 30 days to respond. So there was there was a process concern of are you just trying to sneak these proposed regulations through, and then the content as well is deeply troubling, again, for startup charter schools. Members of, of um, the Republican Party, numerous members of Congress have written public comments and letters urging the Secretary of Education and the Biden administration to withdraw these proposed regulations, again, joined by, by our friends on the other side of the aisle, most notably Michael Bloomberg and Jared Polis. And I am hopeful 
that the Biden administration will see, you know, you might be wanting to give a, a little early Christmas present to Randy Weingarten and your friends in the teachers union. But what these proposed rules would do is hurt parents, hurt children and hurt some of the people that that, you know, we should all be coming together to support. Uh, one one final thought, and then I'll turn it back to you, is the interesting thing is this this block grant, the charter schools program, it generally goes to the states. And so one of the interesting things when we talk about federal funding to, in education is there have been charter schools that have opened up without these funds. So uh, it really kind of brings up an interesting discussion of how dependent should education, private education, charter education be on government funding. For example, there's two very, very good charter schools in uh, within 15 minutes of where I live in Western Loudoun County. One is um, Hillsborough Charter School. One is Middleburg Charter School. Both were started up without any access to these, these CSP funds, the federal um, funding. And that was because Virginia was did not receive these funds at the time that these charter schools were open. So there is a ray of hope that when parents and members of the community and, and local schools are uh, united on this, that they can get results done even in the face of either a hostile presidential administration or a lack of funding. And I think it really speaks to the passion that moms and dads and educators have for the children in their community. So there is a ray of hope. We're hopeful that these regulations, this proposed regulation will be withdrawn and we're fighting for that, but there's also hope as well. You mentioned the teachers unions a moment ago. Now, we've seen intense opposition from the unions dating back years, years ago to this issue of charter schools. But as of late, there seems to be an intensified, as you said a moment ago, an intensified effort to stymie and, all, and to stifle the growth and explosion of these charter schools. What do you believe are some of the biggest misconceptions that are being pushed out there by teachers unions? I know a moment ago you mentioned how they outperform every metric in terms of quality of education as well as long-term outcome. What are some of the misconceptions being pushed right now? And, and what are some that you think the Biden administration is buying into, if not outright publicly, tacitly or implicitly through its actions? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that charter schools are failing students. And the opponents of charter schools will sometimes latch onto studies that maybe in particular charter schools will show that there's some lower academic uh, success over a short period of time. And, uh, you know, for those of us who support uh, parental rights and education and options for children, we, we shouldn't shy away from these studies, even if they do show things that at first glance might not be supportive of, in this case, charter schools. When you start to dig into those studies, however, it's a lot more complicated. And if you were to if you were to just zero in on public schools and have as your base, public schools should be abolished, there'd be tons of evidence for that. You could find failing public schools. You could find uh, um, you could find controversies in public schools or or crimes in public schools. But no one does that. We say we're supportive of education. We want reform in education, but we're not just going to go looking with this acts to grind against a certain form of education. And unfortunately, that's what's happened with the opponents of charter schools. So some of these studies, for example, yes, there's going to be lower academic success in certain instances for certain schools, but that doesn't mean that the charter school, number one, is failing the students or that charter schools writ large are a failure. There are many times other reasons for this, that maybe they're having lower scores, but they're still higher than these particular kids were scoring at the public schools that they were in previously. 
And uh, so if you were to follow them longitudinally, you would see that the kids are progressing, even if it looks like in one particular year at one particular charter school in one particular location, their scores might be lower. And again, that's if you're doing that, you're missing the point of education. I, I love what um, the Irish poet William Butler Yeats said, that education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. And every mm. child is different. Some children are going to struggle academically, but we don't give up on them or use them for political points. We say we want to meet them where they are. We want to support the parents, support the teachers, most importantly, support the child so that he or she is getting the best education possible. So you're missing that if you're just looking at one particular year and one particular school with the, with um, some of the studies on charter schools. The other issue, and I think misconception that the opponents of charter schools have is they look at some of the closure rates of charter schools and say, oh, see, here's a charter school that started to much hype, and then it only lasted a few years and it closed down. There are two reasons for that. Sometimes the local um, school administrations, local school board or city public schools are very hostile to the charter school. And so they're trying to work with children who've p p possibly been failing in the local public school and whose parents pulled them into the charter school. So they're dealing with an at-risk population. And then they're also dealing with the hostility from the local public school board. So that's one reason. And the other one is the beauty of charter schools is parents can leave them. It's not tied to the zip code and you have to have your child there. Parents can vote with their feet, and there are some charter schools that are not doing a good job, and maybe the local public schools are doing better. That is actually a beauty of the charter school model, that parents can vote with their feet. And I think if we had more of that, and that really brings up a broader issue of school choice, if we had more of that, of parents being able to vote with their feet, you would see educational outcomes growing everywhere. Now, you might actually see some private schools closing. You might see some public schools closing because they're failing to meet the needs of the students and the parents. And in a healthy, you know, capitalistic framework, that's good. If a school is failing its children, whether it's a charter school or a private school or, yes, a public school, parents should have that freedom to go to a different public school, a different charter school, a different private school, a different parochial school, even homeschool but not be stuck in their failing education. And so I think sometimes the debate over charter schools is really a debate about parental rights. And that's why it's a very natural issue to our organization, because at its heart, it's who's going to make these decisions. Where should Johnny and Susie go to school? Should it be the local public school that they're forced to attend along with everyone in that zip code? Or should they be able to have the freedom and the funds and the right as parents and the right as children to be able to seek the best education for them. And I think, you know, it's why I believe in freedom, the freedom of, of parents to be able to vote with their feet, of teachers to be able to vote with their feet and to find the best educational model for these particular children. So going back to charter schools, sure, you'll have a charter school close here or there. You should have, you have private schools that close in different places. You have parochial schools and religious schools that, that close in different places. It's only the public schools who have this, this ability to keep failing the children. And, and I say it, you know, failing. There are many public schools that are doing a great job. My dad spent 37 years as a New York State public school educator. So there are many public schools, many public school teachers that are doing a phenomenal job. But when you have a failing public school, when you have public schools that year in, year out 
are are failing to turn out even a majority, let alone a high percentage of of students who can read, who can write, who can be good members of of society. Those schools should close. And the same goes for a charter school or a private school as well. Leave it to the parents to be able to make these decisions, not bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Right. If any politician tells you to know what's best for their kid better than you, don't don't vote for them. That's 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 one of the cases where it's an automatic lie. Politicians are slick. That's not even being slick. Uh, it's a, you know, and, and just to that point, that reminds me of what happened here in, in Virginia just just last year in, in 2021 when Terry McAuliffe, who was running for governor, said that. He said, I don't want parents being involved in their children's education. And the fascinating thing is, is that is a that is something that's going to immediately it's good, lose a, a bipartisan majority of parents, as we saw here in Virginia. You know, you had you had Virginia voters who went for Joe Biden, who voted Democrat. And then, yes, less than 365 days later, they voted Republican because these parents are smart. They want to be involved in their children's education. And they're going to vote for the candidates who support them in that. So it kind of boggles my mind. I mean, it's political malpractice, it almost seems to me, of some of these politicians who are just saying parents shouldn't be involved. No, I mean, everyone agrees, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Right. If you have children, you want to be involved in their education. I, I guess they're being honest. That's, that's the one silver lining. At least they're being honest. But for those lawmakers and state officials who do care about parental rights and want to fight on behalf of, uh, of protecting parental rights in, uh, in our schools, what can they do to get involved on this issue? What can they do in terms of fighting for expanded charter school access? And what are the selling points to voters this November about expanded access to other options of education? Well, let's address the, the first issue. What can um, elected officials, uh, um, even even like Michael Bloomberg, for example, to his credit, he's no longer in office as mayor of New York City, but he did that great op-ed supporting charter schools. Right now, I think the U.S. Department of Education and, and Secretary Cardonis and, and the Biden administration need to hear from parents, need to hear from elected officials that these proposed regulations regarding charter schools, the, the CSP, the charter school program, um, should be withdrawn. This is an attack against new charter schools and against the ability of ordinary parents to come together and to work with their local school district to create a charter school. So these regulations must be withdrawn. The, the comment period has closed, but you can still talk to the administration um, for, for people who, who might not have the ear of the Biden administration or Secretary Cardonis over at U.S. Department of Education. They can contact their, their representative and their two senators, urge them to speak out. And, you know, as we said, this is a bipartisan issue. Michael Bloomberg, Jared Polis, Alec, Republican politicians, they're all united in this. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's do you trust parents to be able to make education decisions? And I'm proud of Governor Polis from Colorado, a Democrat. I'm proud of Mike Bloomberg, a Democrat, you know, former mayor of New York City, for speaking out, for standing up for parents, for standing up for charter schools, for standing up uh, to the, for these disadvantaged kids who their local public schools have failed them and who they don't have the ability to get into private schools or homeschool. And charter schools might be the only option between failing and, and, and not being able to graduate from high school and getting that high school diploma. So I'm proud of them. We need more of them. Encourage your elected officials to tell the Biden administration and the U.S. Department of Education to withdraw these proposed regulations. And then beyond that, 
there is these elections coming up in November are incredibly important. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm we're not a partisan organization. No one's telling people how to vote. But parents need to start. And I think they have been. Parents need to continue looking at what their elected officials and those who want to hold office in our country are saying when it comes to education, when it comes to charter schools, when it comes to school choice, when it comes to private schools, when it comes to homeschool freedom, ask your elected officials. You know, if if the pandemic has been an incredible tragedy, but it's also shown as as we saw the curtain pulled back from public schools when in that initial of spring of 2020, when Moms and dads were sitting at the kitchen table because they were working remotely and the kids were sitting there remotely doing Zoom school. All of a sudden, every parent in the nation got a front row seat to what's going on in the public schools. Some parents were pleased, but a lot of parents said, my schools, my my local public schools are failing my children. All they want to do is indoctrinate and do politics instead of teaching my precious kids how to read and write and be productive members of society. And that's why we've seen such a groundswell. This this wasn't created by by organizations. You know, we've been working in parental rights issues for 15 years. This wasn't from us. This wasn't from politicians. This wasn't from the media. This was from ordinary parents getting frustrated, going to the school boards, getting closed out and shut down and ignored, and then saying, we've had it. We're going to stand up for our children. They propelled Glenn Youngkin to victory. In deep blue San Francisco, recently three school board members were recalled because parents said they don't care about our children's education or even about pandemic-related closures. They're just trying to do other stuff. And, and in deep blue San Francisco, those three school board members were recalled. We recently saw what happened in um, urban and suburban Texas just last week with almost a clean sweep of parent and educator uh, school board members getting elected in, I think it was some of the Dallas area and some of the other uh, urban and suburban school districts. So parents have a voice and they, when they stand together on this issue, it doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, green, everywhere in between, they're getting, they're getting recognized. So parents keep listening to what people are saying when it comes to education. If there's, like you said, if there's a politician saying parents shouldn't be involved in their children's education, vote them out of office. Don't vote for them. And I think the charter schools, it's a really good litmus test because charter schools are kind of um, in the crosshairs of the teachers unions, more so than private schools. For a long time, the teachers unions were attacking homeschools, but they've they've somewhat cut back on that because of just the overwhelming academic success of homeschool. I'm a homeschool graduate. There are many homeschool graduates out there. And so they've really focused their attention on the charter schools because many of the charter schools are dealing with more at-risk academically kids. And so sometimes there are challenging scores and results. But if you can't if if a politician can't stand up for these charter schools, which are, you know, they're still part of the public school system in many ways, then you're not going to be able to trust them to leave private schools alone and to leave home schools alone. So it really does come to a freedom issue. I, I was very encouraged that that Governor Yunkin, um, when he was on the campaign trail, he stood up for charter schools and he said, we're going to try and make it easier for charter schools to start up in Virginia. And it was very disappointing to see that the um, the Democrat politicians in the Senate basically stood lockstep against that. And again, you know, Jared Polis and Mike Bloomberg and others show us charter schools should not be a partisan issue. It's about 
making sure that children everywhere have the best educational options available. So, you know, next year's going to be our, our Virginia State Senate is up for re-election. I, I hope that in the spring of 2023, uh, we'll see elected officials, particularly in the Virginia Senate, um, agree with Governor Yunkin and that we, we uh, get changes in Virginia regarding charter schools and making it easier for charter schools to open. That's, that's kind of the low-hanging fruit at this point. Charter schools are government-funded, unlike many private schools, unlike home schools. And uh, it's, it's many of them still have public school teachers. There's just more parental involvement, more, um, more, more uh, charter school board involvement as well. So this is kind of an easy issue. If, if elected officials can't get it right on charter schools, we can't trust them on private school freedom and homeschool freedom. Definitely. Well, Will, it's been an honor to have you on Across the States. Any last things for our listeners if they want to get involved with your organization, uh, Parental Rights Foundation or elsewhere in the New Artists Movement? Absolutely. So we are involved at state legislation um, all across the 50 states. We've been doing a lot of focus on fundamental parental bills of rights. So enshrining in state law that parental rights are a fundamental right, and then also having curriculum disclosure. You know, we're not getting involved in what should the schools teach. That's an issue that school boards are going to have to get involved in, that parents are going to have to get involved in. But we believe strongly that every parent should have the ability to know what's being taught in their public schools. And so we've been very heartened by the parental bills of rights that are moving all across the nation. There's one in New Hampshire. It's HB 1431 passed the New Hampshire House, just passed the New Hampshire Senate. It's going back because there have been a few changes to the New Hampshire House and then on to Governor Sununu. We hope it will pass. It will really help. Uh, parental rights in public schools in New Hampshire. We were very pleased that in Georgia, uh, HB 1178, a fundamental parental rights saying that parental rights are fundamental. Again, it's what the U.S. Supreme Court has said for the past hundred years. That just was signed into law by Governor Kemp. It's a great bill. It also has curriculum disclosure. So Georgia parents, you're kind of leading the way for the nation. Um, in Missouri, there's a parental bill of rights that is, uh, is poised to pass the Senate as well. Again, will allow parents to know what is happening um, in their public schools, not telling teachers what they should teach or what they shouldn't teach, but providing uh, disclosure um, in public schools. You can find out about some of our work at parentalrights.org. That's where we focus on the state legislation. Again, parentalrights.org. And then on our research and, and litigation work, you can visit our foundation page, which is parentalrightsfoundation.org. We're active on Twitter. It's at uh, Parental Rights. And there's a lot of good ways to follow us as well as on Facebook. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us on Across the State. It's been my honor and my pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much. We're grateful to be a member of ALEC, and we're grateful to work with you on, on uh, protecting charter schools and parents' involvement in the education of their children.